Hey friends, welcome to the Her God Story podcast. I know you love a good story, and boy, do I have a good one for you today. I'm your host, Jody Caracosta, ministry leader at Somebody Cares America International, author and traveler on this journey of faith. My guest today has experienced the salvation, deliverance, and healing from a life of misery that only God can do. Today, Stephanie Viggers is co-pastoring a church with her husband, Darnell. They have three grown children. She's authored two books and co-authored another, hosted her own talk show called Awakening the Diamonds, and been a guest on various other Christian shows. Stephanie and Darnell served as hosts for the Reinhardt Bonnke Crusade in Houston in 2015, and they continue to facilitate and lead other citywide prayer and evangelistic gatherings. God has brought her a long way. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. Stephanie, your young life was really tough. Without getting into all the nitty gritty details, tell us about your early and high school years. My mother, she had two children. I was the youngest um, of the two. She really didn't want me. I was an unwanted child. Um, both uh, my father and my mother did not want me. And so that was that was difficult um, growing up. My mom felt that having one child was enough and that she would be able to make it and prosper in life. And then I come along. Throughout my childhood, I was always the one that was the reason why things didn't work out. I was the, the one to blame. If there was no success, it was because she had the second child. And so she had a lot of resentment towards me. And so I was the child who would just go into their room and hide because it was easier to hide than to be seen. And my mom is reminded um, it's because of me, at least that's the way she felt, it was because of me, the way things had turned out for her. And in that, when I was originally um, came into the world, she actually gave me to her sister um, to raise. I have that issue that I kind of struggled with, with the abandonment and the rejection and and never really felt that I was loved as a child by my father nor my mother. And so I didn't know at the time, but I just knew how I acted as I continued to grow up that I was angry. I was angry all the time. I would fight with the boys. If anyone said anything to me, I would quickly get upset. And it's because I had all these issues that I couldn't express. I didn't have anyone to talk to and I'm a child. And so I have no way to know how to deal with these things. Growing up in that environment, found myself in situations where I wanted love. So if if anybody would just love me, it didn't it didn't matter what I needed to do. I just know that I wanted to feel something that I felt like I was missing in my life, and so I can end up finding myself in in various situations. And um, one situation I was in when my mom uh, would go to Louisiana, that was her home state, and she would leave me with family. And, you know, you think when you're with family that you're in a a safe environment. Um, And so, but I wasn't. And so at nighttime, when my mom was gone and the other adults were gone, family members would come into the room and, you know, there was molestation, um, that happened several times. Um, the majority of the time, it was at least two of my male family members that would, would come and um, molest me. And so I had that to deal with. And my family was already in enough uh, chaos and confusion. 
I didn't want to say anything to cause any more issues in the family. And so I kept that in. I kept that quiet and didn't think that they would believe me anyway. And so harboring that with the rejection and the abandonment and now the, the trust issues, it just ended up just in a whirlwind when I actually became an adult. Wow. And through that time, you you had been going actually to a private Catholic school. Yes. My grandmother was Catholic. And the tradition is, is that if you're Catholic, then you send your children to Catholic school. Mm -hmm. And so my mom and her sisters, they all went to Catholic school. And so when it came to me and my brother, we went to Catholic school as well. So I went to Catholic school from kindergarten all the way through high school. And even in that, when I was in um, about the fourth or fifth grade, there was this priest and again, back to this issue of wanting wanting someone to love me, know me, notice yeah. me. And he noticed me. He said, hey, you are beautiful. You could be a model. And I'm like, wow, me? I can be that? And so he said, but we just need to take pictures of you. And so we'll be able to show these pictures to everyone. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking innocent. He's a priest. Everything is Okay. And didn't realize when he's telling me to unbutton my shirt, he's telling me to lift up my skirt, that he had other intentions other than me, you know, having this modeling career. And so I didn't make the connection to that until really it came out about priests uh, being inappropriate with the children that were under them. And, and then a flashback to, oh, yeah, I remember those days I'm just unbuttoning my shirt and allowing him to take pictures but I was so much in a place that he liked me. He thought something of yeah. me, that I was special, that I was different. And it didn't it didn't matter what I needed to do because I needed to feel, I needed to feel that love and that someone wanted me and accepted me for who I was. Yeah. So you, you got through high school, you graduated. And even though you really had no one as your cheerleader, you went to college which was a big decision. That was a big deal. How did you get into college and what happened during those years? I finished high school and I knew that I had to do something to get out of the environment um, that I was in. And, you know, ultimately my mom kicked me out of the house when I was 17 years old, not that far after I got out of high school. It was a difficulty there trying to find somewhere to be able to stay and But yet I still said I wanted to go to school. And so I struggled um, to go use the bus to go to University of Houston. Then after that, I transitioned to going to a community college. And it was difficult, but I knew I had to do something. I didn't want to be like some of the family members that I knew that ended up in bad situations, ended up in jail. I didn't want that to happen to me. And so it was very difficult. And it took me more years than what it would take the average person to be able to complete school. But I did. I had to get financial aid on one part, uh, a scholarship through the job that I was working for another part. And then I was working full time. So I was working full time, struggling, um, trying to have a roof over my head. I had to stay in a homeless shelter for, you know, a a bit of that time, but struggled, did what I needed to do because I knew that in order to be successful in life, I needed some type of degree. And so originally I got uh, a two-year associate degree in nursing, became a registered nurse. And then ultimately I finished with, ended up having a master's degree. It took time and it was a process, 
but I was able to finish. Yeah. You, I mean, that talks about perseverance to do that without really any help at all. There was no cheerleader. Yeah. Yeah, There was no one cheering me on or encouraging me to say, keep going. There was none of that. It was me and the Lord trying to encourage myself to make it through. Yeah. So along the way, you met the man who came to be your husband. And where did you meet him? Oh, well, that's a funny story. So at this point, I was living with a, a roommate. You know, we were in the world, even though I grew up in uh, religion and knew that I would, you know, I, I felt that I was good enough that I would make it to purgatory. That's what that's what I thought. And so but I was still living a life of anyone that was in the world. And so we would go out to this club. It's called the Palladium. It's uh, near uh, gallery furniture. It's no longer there. And we would go there at least twice a week. I mean, we were known at that particular place. And so my husband had recently moved uh, from Louisiana to Houston and his cousin brought him to that club. And that's where I was. Uh, He was on the dance floor with another lady, another female, and they were dancing back to back or butt to butt. Um, And I was at the edge of the dance floor and then I saw him and he saw me. And immediately when I saw him, I I knew, I, I heard something say, that's him. And I immediately knew that he was the one. And so he's on the dance floor. He sees me. He turns around to see if the, the female that was dancing with him had still had her backside towards him. And she did. And he just walked off the dance floor. So he walks off the dance floor. He comes over to me, asks me, do I want to dance? Of course I said yes. And we've been together ever since. Funny thing about that is that I was there not only with my friend, my roommate, I was also there with my boyfriend. And we had a very strange relationship, but we were both there, yet we were in our separate ways doing our own thing. But I felt that Darnell was the one, he was it. And so that night I broke up with my boyfriend and I was with Darnell and and we're still together. After 29 years of marriage, we are still together. Well, that is amazing. Um, that is amazing <laughs> these days. And, and neither of you were believers at the time. I mean, you didn't know the Lord no. when you met. So... No, uh, I mean, it was God's grace and mercy that you made it through because your early your early relationship was kind of rocky. Right. Yeah, it was. It, it really was. You know, I had all this stuff that was going on with me. He came from a pretty stable background. So when I come into the picture, he doesn't really know how to deal with, you know, some of the things that I'm going through, you know, the attitudes and the anger and these things that I'm manifesting. And I don't even, you know, at that point, I'm so mature. I don't know what's going on with me either. I just know I feel what I feel. And so it was very rocky when we first got married, not only because of that, but also because of the friends that I had. And so when we married, I was still, you know, in the world and I had worldly friends. And at this point, I was a nurse. I was working at ICU. I was working at night. And the people that I was around were are very strange people that are at in a level of darkness that I had never experienced before that I was being brought into. And when I got married, my friends were not happy at all about that decision. No, not at all. They wanted me to remain single. They wanted me to be able to continue to party without any type of restraint. They would do things to cause division between my husband and I. And so my husband and I would always get into arguments because now I want to go out. 
because they have convinced me that he is controlling me. He doesn't want me to have a life. He doesn't want me to have friends. And, and I'm believing this. And so it's causing all of this tension. One day, someone, you know, of course, it's the, we know now it's the Lord, but he heard a voice tell him that you need to take her and you need to move out of the city. And I don't know how he convinced me, but he convinced me to leave my home. I was born and raised in Houston and he convinced me that we needed to leave. And so we just moved into the apartment that we were in. We what we didn't even have all of our bags unpacked at that point. And we packed everything that we did unpack and we left. So you left your job and, and everything. I left the job, he left his, and we didn't have a place to stay. We moved to Lake Charles and went to live with his sister until we could get settled in. His sister had four kids. They're living in a two-bedroom house. And now we come in and, and you know, there's all these people in this small little house. But we did. We listened to the Lord and didn't know the Lord at that time, but we listened to that voice and it was it was the best decision that we ever made. You know, I just thank the Lord that, you know, we listened to that voice. And so what happened, we moved to Louisiana and my friends, they paid me a visit. They come to Louisiana to talk to us. And it's then when I saw that my friends really weren't my friends. We went to dinner together. They talked awful about my husband to my husband. And they came there hoping that I would quit. Uh, the relationship with my husband and that I would leave with them that night. And that's not how it turned out. I quit the relationship with them and I remained with my husband. Wow. I mean, that must've been a struggle really, because I mean, that's, they were your friends. They were kind of the yeah. first support you had outside of, I mean, as an adult or really maybe even your whole life, realizing that they were not good for you was, I mean, really a divine intervention of the Lord. Yeah. I mean, they were trying I mean, to convince you into some lifestyles that were even more unhealthy than you had come out of. They were really into some dark stuff. There was some homosexuality in there. Just so many things when I, when I think back of the things that not necessarily that I got involved with everything, but just my awareness and my participation and my acceptance of this is okay behavior. Uh, I'm just so glad that I'm no longer in that place. Yeah. That level of thinking. You and Darnell were in Louisiana, and I believe you started having some children. So we have um, three children. They are all in the Lord. And the thing that I love about our family is that, you know, we're like anyone else. We have our struggles. We have our trials. Um, you know, sometimes we just don't know what to do or how we're going to make it. And our kids are able to see us through those struggles and those trials, see how the Lord moves in our life. Amen. You know, that so is, some, yeah, that is something I saw. I mean, my family, we all got saved when I was about six years old. So we grew in the Lord together. But the thing that has really grounded me in my faith was watching my parents walk through difficult times in a godly way. You know, your children are so blessed to see you do that to see you struggle with things, but in a godly way and watch God bring the great breakthroughs. And that's exactly what I love about it because we're not perfect and, you know, they're able to see that. So if we're not perfect. They don't have to be perfect. They, you know, it's follow the Lord. When you mess up, you confess your sins, you know, and you just move on. And so, so now they were able to see uh, these struggles and now they're in this, this point in their lives where they're developing 
their own testimony, not mom and dad's testimony and seeing the Lord work in mom and dad's life. Now they're able to see the Lord working in their own lives. But when they were first born, that wasn't the case. Yes, that was not the case. In Um, fact, you really had a bit of a crisis when they were young. You know, when my son was born, you know, I have all my, my family drama to deal with. And, you know, they end up having to deal with my family drama because they want to know, where's grandmother? Where's grandfather? Where are the people, you know, that's supposed to be part of our tribe and our family? And so we didn't have a lot of that. Mom was going through so much, you know, and they're young. They don't understand. My husband's trying to do as as much as he can. So it was really a struggle. And I used to work a lot because I had these issues of depression. And so how I dealt with depression is I work. I do other things. I keep myself busy so my mind is not preoccupied with that. And so I used to work, work, and work. And so my son, he was about three or four years old, and he drew a picture. I'm I'm looking at the picture, and I'm like, okay, I was like, okay, son, where am I? And he said, oh, well, you're at work. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And so that was eye-opening to know that my son was aware that I'm not home Mm. and that I'm at some other place. And for him to even possibly think that that was more important than he was, when that happened, that kind of changed my perspective. Okay, I don't need to work as much as I have, and I need to spend more time with my family. So that helped. You know, when we were younger, we were were still in school, still struggling to get through nursing school. When When we went to Louisiana, my husband went to school. You know, we have having financial troubles and, you know, how are we going to make it? But the Lord has always provided. Uh, for even before us. you knew him, even before. Yes. I mean, he always knew you, but before you knew he knew you, yes, he was still providing. Yes. Now, and, and when he was, I wasn't thanking him because, like you said, I didn't know that it was him. But when I look back, it's like, wow, Lord, even when I was lost in my darkness, wasn't following you, wasn't trying to know you. You were still good to us and to our family. I mean, I remember one time when I was working and and we were still in Houston and I told my husband, I was like, well, today's the last day that we have food. We don't have anything else. I go to work and it was employee appreciation day and they were having a carnival, a really big to do about that day. And so they were giving out tickets so you can have one of this and one of that, you know, based on the ticket. And then all of a sudden, my coworkers are like, hey, Stephanie, do you want my tickets? I'm not going. Do you want my tickets? And I got all these tickets. And so our food (laughs) had increased from, you know, this is it. There's nothing else coming to having an abundance. And didn't know that that was the Lord, but that was the Lord moving Uh, even then. But you came to kind of a dark night of the soul where you didn't know you were going to even make it through. What happened in that? When we moved to Louisiana, we thought we were just really moving to escape from Houston and all the drama that was going on there. And it ended up being, no, the Lord wanted to work on me (laughs) and deal with me and my darkness. And so when we were in Louisiana, I all of my past, all my childhood issues, all of my my garbage, all of that came to the forefront. 
and I'm hit with all of these emotions. I don't know what's going on. And as I said, I ended up becoming really, really depressed uh, to the point that I was suicidal, that uh, have the knife in my hand or unbuckling my, my seatbelt, you know, trying to figure out if I roll just right, you know, will I kill myself or will my husband have to take care of me, you know, in this, you know, this state because I didn't do it right. I would constantly hear these voices telling me nobody loves you. No one cares. You need to, you need to kill yourself and, you know, just go ahead and do it. And these voices just kept pressing and pressing for me to do it. But I remembered when this would happen that when I was in the Catholic school, they had, uh, uh, taught us the poem Dante's Inferno. And I remember from that, I don't remember anything else really about the poem other than this piece where it says there was a, a drawing and it said at the top of the doorpost as you're entering into hell that it says, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. And when I would want to kill myself, I would think back to that, abandon all hope because it's like, okay, maybe tomorrow might be better at least on earth. But if I actually die and go to hell, there's no tomorrow that I can even hope for. And so that would keep me from wanting to actually hurt and harm myself. I still didn't know what to do. I still was depressed. I still wanted to kill myself. I still kept hearing these voices telling me to do it. And so I went for a, a doctor's appointment and, and it was it was a scheduled appointment for something else. And my husband is there with me. And I just decide that I need to tell somebody. And so I tell the doctor, I was like, hey, could you write me a prescription uh, to give me something to stop these voices from talking to me because I really don't want to kill myself and go to hell. And so he looks at me like, what are you talking about? My husband puts his face down. He's like, oh no, you didn't tell him that, did you? So the doctor, he says, I'll be right back. And I was like, okay. And so he walks out, takes a few minutes, and then he comes back with this piece of paper, this colored piece of paper. And he says, well, Stephanie, you have one or two options. He said, you can either go willingly and you can be, you know, in the facility for eight days or longer if you choose or you can go involuntarily and you're going to have to stay in the facility for 30 days at least. And I said, well, okay, well, I'll go ahead and choose option one. <laughs> My husband drives me to uh, the hospital, to a psychiatric, to the psychiatric ward. I was there in, in misery um, for eight days dealing with the depression and the suicidal thoughts. I was so depressed and even more depressed because now I don't even have my husband to talk to. I was so depressed. I made the suicidal people in the psychiatric ward more depressed than what they were. And they were complaining, could you please shut her up? <laughs> because they couldn't sleep because I was crying all night. It was a really major ordeal. But when I got out of there, guess what? I still had my issues. It didn't do anything for me. I was still getting tormented. I was still having the thoughts. All that stuff remained. And so what happened is that I would go to sleep at night and I would start having these dreams of torment. Everything mm. that I feared in life would be in these dreams. This voice started coming in the midst of the dreams and would say, choose this day whom you are going to serve. Wow. And I didn't, and I didn't understand. I'm like, who is this talking to me? 
Why are you talking to me? And what do you mean choose? I've already chosen God. I'm a Catholic. And so I didn't get it. And so these dreams would continue. They would intensify. I started seeing things when I was awake that aren't supposed to be there. All this stuff is going on. And so days happen and I'm, I'm in the middle of the night, still having these dreams. I'm feeling things in my body. I don't know what's going on with me. And then during one of the midst, and during the midst of one of the dreams, I finally was like, oh, wait a minute. How can I say that I love God and I want to follow him, but yet I want to kill myself? It's like, those really don't mix together. So something is wrong. And so as I'm talking, you know, trying to logically think this through, I'm like, I don't think I really love the Lord like I like I say I do. I and this was a revelation that you came to just all by yourself. I yeah. mean, you didn't have you weren't listening to any preachers on the air or going to church or No. This was just a revelation from the Lord. Yes, this yes, this is directly from the Lord. Um the the person who called me to the altar was him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's so encouraging because sometimes we pray and pray. In fact, you know, I'm praying for a few people that I know are not going to church. They need God. They're tormented like you were. And I just think, God, you know, how are you going to reach them? I mean, I know he will, but you know, in my own mind, I can't figure out how he's going to do it. Yes. But hearing this story, hearing this testimony is so encouraging. I mean, God will get through no matter what he's going to get through. Yes, he will get through. And he got through to me. And that night I said, I choose you, Lord. Everything just lifted. There were no more dreams. There were no more torments. There was no more seeing things that aren't there. There were no more of the suicidal thoughts. I had a deliverance in my house going on. Didn't even know what deliverance, you know, was back then. And, you know, all of this. And I woke up the next morning and my husband saw me and he's like, what happened to you? I mean, he could even see in my face. It was visible. It was visible to your husband. I mean, he knew something was going on and it was a good thing this time. And so, yeah. So when my life changed, his life changed because a lot of the stuff that I was dealing with, a lot of the, 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 the pressure from it had lifted. When did you like really realize it was Jesus and really start pursuing a walk with him? Back in those days, when I went to Catholic school, we were taught that we were heathens. We weren't worthy of anything. And so we weren't worthy to open the Bible and read it. Mm. And so I have never picked up a Bible and read a Bible before until I went to Louisiana. The scriptures was, they were always read to us. So when I'm dealing with all of this stuff and the demonic and everything that's going on, I decide that I want to open up the Bible (laughs) and, you know, I cracked it open and I didn't die. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. surprise. And and so I started reading it and then I'm like scratching my head because I'm like, wait a minute. What I'm reading is different from what I've been taught. I would go to the Catholic church and I'm like, hey, I have a question. And I'm like, the Bible says this, but this is what I was taught. And can you help me? Many times they're like, well, this is just what we do. Uh, don't worry about what that says. You just need to follow the Catholic faith and the Catholic tradition. So all of that started making me having having doubts about what am I in? You know, am I really following the Lord? What is this? And so, so when combining that, when I was already seeking truth, 
with now the tormenting dreams. When I finally woke up and said, oh, that's that's the Lord talking to me and surrender. Then I knew, OK, what I've been taught. Not all of it was wrong, but there were some parts that, that were wrong or missing. So once I had that moment and I felt and I knew that I had been transformed, I started seeking the Lord then. Um, left the Catholic Church. I went to Baptist Church and then eventually non-denominational. But that started me on a journey, a journey for truth. And now, because I had that deception in the beginning, when I go to someone else, I'm always lining it up with the word because I don't want to be deceived again. It started me on this journey and I just kept increasing more and more in learning about who the Lord actually is according to his word, not according to what people say or their perception of him. Well, you know, God always is concerned about the poor and the widows and the fatherless. And Somebody Cares right now has uh, provided opportunities for believers to be involved in that. And that's why we created a Widows and Orphan Fund. In James 1, 27, in the New Living Translation, which I, it's the translation I've come to love, it says pure and genuine religion, or really relationship, in the sight of God, our Father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And as we record this, there is a huge need right now to help Ukrainian orphans, Haitian orphans, and orphans around the world who've experienced some of the things that Stephanie experienced as a young girl. Many are dealing with traumas of war and other things. And as a company of women together, we can do so much to help them experience the tangible love of our Father. If you want to join us, go to hergodstory.org and click on Help Now. So Stephanie, God gave you this really some insights on what it means to be a conqueror in Christ. It's a choice. Can you share more on that? Because as you're getting this revelation of who God is and what God has done in your life, you began to be able to forgive and to address some issues that had just been tormenting you for years. One of the things that I love about the Lord is that he gives us a choice that we can we can choose to do right or wrong, good or bad. Um, he gives us that ability to do it. But he also gives us the power um, in order to do it. Because some of this stuff, you know, it was hard. You know, uh, I struggled in life and I had anger issues. I was mad at people that did some of the things to me and and how my life ended up turning out uh, because of those things and how, how much it impacted me when I got married and when I had kids. And so, you know, I had all of that that I needed to deal with. But the, the Bible tells us, that, you know, there are going to be trials. There are going to be issues and struggles and hardships and, and persecutions and sufferings. But he said, in the midst of all of that, that I have made you more than able, I have equipped you to be able to overcome all of these things. In and of myself, there is no way that I would have forgiven the people that have hurt me because I had every right to be angry because the things were wrong and the things were evil. But those rights were taken away when I came to the Lord. So he said, we have to forgive and we have to show mercy just as he has forgiven us. He says that we have the ability to do that. So how did you do that? I mean, that's not an easy thing to do. It's not. I had to choose to do it. I had to realize, I had to come to the point to say, as a child of God, 
I had no right to be unmerciful and unforgiving because I had to look at my life and I had to see where I came from and all the things that I've done wrong. Sin is sin in the eyes of the Lord. So their sin may be different from mine, but I'm no better when I was living in darkness as well. And I think, how could God, how could he forgive me for all the wrong things that I have done? I've been told all my life that I'm unworthy. So why would someone that's so perfect and so holy, why would he forgive me of all the things that I have done? When I'm like, wow, he has that type of love for me, but he also has that type of love for them. And I'm like, if the Lord can forgive me in all of my stuff and he's perfect, there, there's no sin, no mistake, no error in him. And I was all screwed up when I came to him. And if he could do that for me, why can't I do that for someone else? And so I had to ask the Lord, Lord, my will is to forgive them. My feelings right now, I still have them. I'm still mad. I'm still hurt but I choose to forgive them. And so I need you to help me to forgive them. And so what the Lord did is that he started uh, showing me their hurt, their mm. sin, their darkness, their life, what they're living in without Christ. And all that brokenness and all that darkness leads to the things that happen to me or that happens to other people because, you know, there's a saying that hurt people hurt people. They do broke people, you know, people that are broken, they break other people. I had to look at, wow, they're, I'm just thinking about myself, but I had to start looking at them like, wow, they're really struggling. Oh yeah. I remember my cousin and their life and how bad it was for them and some of the things that they went through. So it helped me to understand and apply mercy when I didn't want to apply mercy. And so walking through that process was able to help me to forgive them. And also the more I fell in love with Jesus, the more the hate, the anger, and all of those feelings went away. And so because we're supposed to come become more and more like him as we do, then all of those other things that are not of the spirit, <laughs> all of those things fade away because you are like, I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. And the Bible tells us we are to love other people. And as I serve, I, I realized just how much more I love people and how the Lord took my heart of stone and massaged it and broke it, you know, broke it into pieces and gave me a heart of flesh that has compassion. And so now I'm able to apply that to people that I know and love. It was easy for me to go on the streets and love on people that I didn't know, but it was harder to love on people that I knew that personally hurt me. And so the Lord had to help me through that process. And he did because I was willing, not because my heart was there at the time. It's because I said, Lord, I want to. Your word says that we are supposed to forgive, that we are supposed to love people. I want to be in right relationship with you. I want to be in right relationship with the people. But you're going to have to help me do that. And he did. Amen. It reminds me of a story I read about Corey Ten Boone. I don't know if you know who she mm -hmm. is. Corey Ten Boone was a woman who, a Dutch woman who during World War II, she and her whole family were arrested for helping Jews. 
She was a Christian. She was taken to one of the most notorious concentration camps in all of Germany, Ravensbrück. She was brutalized, uh, humiliated. Her sister died in the midst of that. And they saw God's provision in the midst of it, but the, the guards were vicious. Well, she was released in the middle of the war miraculously, but after the war, she traveled around and really uh, shared her story and the love of God and forgiveness and mercy. And one day she was speaking somewhere about the love of God. And in the back of the room, she saw one of the guards at Ravensbrook who had been particularly brutal, particularly brutal to her sister and to her. And, and at the end of the session, she was just trying to beeline it out of that room. And she saw that guard coming up toward her and she didn't want to talk to him. But, you know, they came face to face and he said, oh, you know, I'm so sorry for what I did to you. And would you please forgive me? And she just had hatred in her heart well up toward him. And she said, I don't want to, forgive." you know, in her mind, she's having a conversation with the Lord. I don't want to forgive him. I can't forgive him, Lord. And God said the same thing, you know, that you said, I, I forgave you. How can you not forgive him? She was a woman who kept short accounts with the Lord. And she said, okay, Lord, I don't know how to forgive him, but if you will help me forgive him, I will forgive him. So she reached up her arm to shake his hand and love and forgiveness just flowed through her being. She just felt it. So it was that, you know, it was that choice. It was that choice of obedience. And then God did the rest. He did the rest. Exactly. And what I found is that the forgiveness was more about me than mm. it really was for them. Because some people, they're not asking for forgiveness. They don't want forgiveness. They don't think what they did was wrong or it wasn't that bad. And so it was about me because I'm in a type of bondage being held yeah. back. My heart is hard because I don't want to forgive someone. And so when I forgive them, you just feel this release. You know, it's freedom and forgiveness. And so that's what I learned during that process is that to set me free, that I need to be able to forgive other people. And so, you know, and it, like I said, it wasn't an easy process, but it was a needed process. And I learned through that how to love, you know, people beyond. It doesn't matter what they have done to be able to love them and to truly love them, not just say that I forgive them, but to love them, to pray for them, to bless them. You know, you don't cringe when you hear their name anymore. You don't say no when you really could say yes when they need help to truly love them as Christ loves them. And that's another step. I mean, forgive and forget is one thing. Forgive and love. Yes. Boy, that's something you can only do with the power of only. the Holy Spirit in you. Yes. So you've been a nurse, you know, you've raised your children and now you and your husband are co-pastoring a church. Yes. How did that come about? Well, one day I was seeking the Lord and I wanted to know what my purpose was. I was like, Lord, I know I'm on this earth for a reason, but I don't know what it is. And I'm fasting and praying until you tell me, I need you to speak to me. During that period of prayer and fasting is when the Lord uh, called me to be a minister. Now, when I was praying, praying and fasting and seeking the Lord, I wasn't seeking that. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, I, I, you know, raised Catholic, went to Baptist and it's like, Lord, I'm a woman. What do you mean uh, to, to do that? And so it was a shock, but he confirmed it through his word. He confirmed it through people. Then I went to my pastor and he said he was been expecting for me to come with that. And so all these confirmations came. And so that's kind of how 
it started for me. Then my husband ends up getting called from the Lord six months later to be a pastor. So we were faithfully serving at a church for three years, thinking that we were just going to be there, you know, for the long haul. And all of a sudden the Lord says, no, you need to leave the, the church that you're at. And it's like, what? You know, we didn't. Uh, we felt that there were too many responsibilities that we had and no one was going to do what we were doing. No one was going to pick up flat. We called all the other ministers and, you know, had a conversation with them. We didn't tell them we were leaving, but we were telling them that, hey, guys, you need to pick it up. We're doing all this stuff. We need help. You guys need to help. We didn't leave and we ended up getting our feelings hurt. We experienced that and then we were, you know, then we had to leave. We left and we came home and we thought that the Lord was going to put us uh, in another church, plant us somewhere so we can be raised up to be taught how to be pastors. And so uh, the Lord tells my husband, no, you aren't going, someone else isn't going to teach you. You're going to walk alongside me and I'm going to instruct you on what you need to do. And it's like, okay. So what we did is we started a church in our home and it was the church of the vigors. It was just us, our three kids, my husband and myself. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to go back to the basics. We want to go back to the foundation because we've been so many places and we want to make sure our kids understood the word, understood what we believe and that they actually did have a relationship with the Lord. Well, amen. So you really poured into your yeah. kids to make sure. Yes. Cause you know, I think so many, so many parents just assume that oh, your kids are going to church, your kids are, you know, at a Christian school or your kids are, and they don't really spend that quality time making sure their kids are grounded in the faith yes. that, that they are themselves. Yes. And, you know, it's not necessarily on purpose, but unless you're intentional in doing that, it won't get done. Right. And I would say if it's just an assumption, you can miss the right. mark. I think it because the reason I didn't assume was because of my background. Because I had already been deceived. I'm pretty sure I brought some of that into, you know, my children when I was raising them based off of what I knew or what I thought I knew about the Lord. And so because I had that background, I wanted to make sure I went back to make sure that everything was okay with them. And otherwise, I probably would have been one, too, that would assume, hey, I take them to church. They should be listening. They're, you know, they're serving. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And you can assume wrongly. So we did that and established the foundation, made sure that everything was okay. And then we eventually opened up the uh, our home to other people that we knew uh, and then ultimately opened it up to everyone. And then a year after that, the Lord said, okay, it's time to transition into a building. And so we did that. But all of this ministry, if you would ask anyone that knew me... <laughs> Back then, you know, that would Stephanie become a minister serving the Lord? They'd go, absolutely not. And yet, <laughs> you know, here I am serving the Lord and, and loving it. You really gave your past to the Lord and he has used the scars, the wounds and the healing that he's done and opened up so many doors for you to join him in ministry. Share some of those things. I mean, I just think of the Reinhardt Bonke crusade and how you got involved in that and, and other doors that from where you came from, you'd never imagined. You'd be working alongside a, a world-renowned evangelist yes. to bring hope to your yes. city. I, you know, I, the Lord always surprises me, you know, always makes me smile. You know, first you, you save me, we could just stop right there. That's good enough. If he didn't do anything else, I now have eternal life with him. 
And so to go beyond that and say, you know, I choose you to be a minister for me to go and proclaim the gospel. It's like, whoa, me? Do you remember my past? Are you serious? You know, and for that, and then to even go beyond that, I know you, I know somebody cares and all the relationships that the Lord has given us. It's like just mind blowing what the Lord has done. You know, there's so many people that are in our lives that I would have never expected that we would have relationships with. And you mentioned, you know, Reinhardt, who's now with the Lord, but back in 2013, I was watching his first crusade that he was doing in the USA in Orlando, Florida. I was watching it on my computer and the screen refreshed. And there was a pop-up that says, hey, if you want us to come to your city, you know, click here. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, click, you know, sign sign up for them to come. And I was like, okay, because, you know, the Lord tells me to do something. I just do it. And then I freak out later, you know, but I was like, okay. And so, you know, I, I submitted that, finished watching the crusade. It was a two night crusade and I didn't, the following week happens and I didn't hear anything from, from anyone. And I was like, okay. I was like, well, maybe they were busy with the crusade and everyone's coming to Christ. And so I was like, well, let me email them again. And so I emailed them again and two weeks passed and no response. And so I looked up to the Lord and I said, okay, Lord, you told me to email these people. I've emailed them twice and they did not respond. So the blood's not on my hands. And that's what I told him. And five minutes later, I get a phone call from Christ for All Nations. And then they got the email. And so we went through this process of working with pastors to, to be a part of the crusade. Now, mind you, we've only been in ministry for, at this point, two and a half, three years. And we're calling pastors. We don't even know these pastors. We're calling. And Houston's not a small not. city. I mean, it's huge. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like knocking on their door. They're like, who are you and what do you want? And, you know, many of them didn't even know Reinhardt because he's more popular in Africa. And so, but the, the Lord was with us through that difficult process. It was a difficult process as well. But from that, all these relationships develop. You know, we have the relationship with somebody cares and all the work that you guys are doing and supporting, you know, our ministry when we want to do particular outreaches and others as well and all the work you're doing around the nation and the world. And then we have all these, I call them assignments that the Lord would, would give us. We've done Saturate Houston, where the Jesus DVD, we help to, you know, pull the, the body of Christ together to be able to distribute those DVDs door to door. So people, everyone, we wanted everyone in Houston to know about Jesus. And the funny thing about that is that I had prayed to the Lord and I said, Lord, I want everybody to know the name of Jesus in my city. And so I went to research how much it would cost to do DVDs. And we didn't even have volunteers to be able to do this. But that was my heart. And I was like, oh, Lord, I don't have a million dollars, you know, or more to be able just to, you know, print the CDs. I didn't have enough money to do that. And then a couple of years later, here comes Saturate Houston. They come to us and say, hey, you want to you want to help us facilitate this? And it's like, oh, thank you, Lord. And no money out, you know, just to labor. And, and so the Lord would do things. God God is faithful to fulfill the yes. desires of our heart. When our yes. desires are his, he'll just yes. step right he, in. I mean, he came with the CDs and the DVDs. He came with the volunteers. I mean, he came with everything that we needed. And, you know, I was like, thank you, Lord, for putting all that together. And so we've done that. And, of course, we did the crusade. We did Operation Saturation. 
Again, it was bringing um, the churches and ministry leaders together to love on the city in whatever way through evangelism or just a community outreach. It was one day where everyone was around the city doing this. It was absolutely wonderful. And we wanted, the goal was is to show Houston that the church is here, that we can work together and that Jesus loves you. We weren't our, our purpose was not to go and say, do you know Jesus? Let me preach the gospel. Our purpose that day was to love on them. And even with that, 270 something people still came to the Lord because they saw the love of Jesus Christ being manifested. And so that was wonderful. Then we did Revival for Survival. We did that in October of 2020. And that was in a stadium event where we did 12 hours of prayer um, and worship, uh, again, believers coming together, you know, the Lord has really called us to bring the body of Christ together, bring leaders together because he wants us to be one. We're one family. We may go to different churches on Sunday, but you know, we're still one family that comes together. And so he has us do things that, you know, call for the body of Christ to be able to come as one and to be able to worship him. Um, we've done the Bible project. The Bible project was when we had four different locations and, uh, people were there and we all read the Bible simultaneously and within one hour, all 66 books of the Bible were read aloud in different languages, uh, different age groups. We had the young ones, we had the old ones. I mean, it was just absolutely beautiful to hear the recording of how it all sounds when everyone is reading. It was just a beautiful experience to be able to do that. And powerful too. I mean, when we declare the word of God, his that's word does right. not come exactly. back. Void. And that's exactly what we wanted to do. We want to saturate our city with the word of God. Let it be taken with the wind to the four corners of our city. And that's exactly what we wanted to do. And then recently we did the Houston worship gathering and that was four different locations, uh, North, South, East and West Houston, where we started and ended worship uh, all at the same time. And so whatever side of town you lived on, that's the area you went to. And it was just about worshiping the Lord. That, that was it. And so we recently did that. And just so many other citywide prayer gatherings, other type of community outreaches. We've given away uh, new clothes, new shoes, of course, food, uh, just various things that the, the Lord has allowed for us to do. Because it's it's a privilege and an honor that, that the Lord entrusts you to be able to do something for him. And so just so thankful for every assignment, whether it's, you know, sometimes we lead, sometimes we serve. You know, it doesn't matter if I'm in the front or if I'm in the back or if I'm dumping the trash. I'm all doing it for the glory of the Lord. And he'll be pleased with my service unto him. And so it's just been wonderful. You know, you've done so many things over the, I mean, just, gosh, the past 10 years, I'd say. Uh, and what have you sensed? I mean, have you sensed a change in the spiritual atmosphere of your city? Are you seeing people come to Christ that were resistant before? Is there a change in the community? Or what, yeah, what I you think seeing? that I have. I see that more people that are in the body of Christ are coming together, that the walls are coming down, that people, uh, leaders aren't as threatened by other leaders thinking that they're going to take their membership or they want something from them, you know, that is truly just a relationship. We just want to be, you know, brother and sister in Christ. I see those walls coming down and us being able to work together more and more on different projects. And so I see that. I also see that 
the body of Christ itself is having a hunger for the Lord, having a hunger for truth, seeking him more about who he is. I think some of the, the situations that we've had happen in our nation has helped that. But I also think it's just the, the work that the Lord is already doing in people, as well as what they're seeing in their own neighborhoods or, or job workplaces and what the church is doing. I, you know, that they're, they're seeing more of the church come out of, as we say, you know, the, the doors or the walls of the church. They're seeing a more, you know, inside of the community. And so I see the body of Christ, you know, going just deeper and, and uh, harder for the Lord. I see the, the young people uh, in the body of Christ starting to work or honor or appreciate the older generation and vice versa. And I also see that it's easier to approach people that are not of, at least you don't know if they're of the Lord when you approach them, but it's easier for people to be approached um, instead of, you know, an immediate slam, uh, you know, door in your face or immediate, you know, cut off. I don't want to talk to you in a grocery store. They're a little more receptive to, you know, at least allow you to come into their personal space to hear what you have to say. And then more hearts or, being massaged by the Lord to be open to hearing um, the gospel. I do feel that not only the stuff that we've done, but, you know, my goodness, somebody cares. I think you guys have been around for 40 years. You know, some of the other ministries, people that we, you know, that we work with for years and years and years have prayed and sowed and labored. You know, they've, they've sown in tears and you know, all of that, you know, then we come in and enter into their labors to, you know, help alongside and then others behind us. All of that, I think, is helping to change the spiritual atmosphere in our city. You know, we believe that Houston shall be saved. And I believe that the Lord is setting us up for something really big and powerful that he is going to do to transform our city, not only because we prayed for it, because it was already declared and prophesied over 100 years ago that it shall be so. And like you said, the Lord's word never returns back to him void. It will accomplish that which he set it out to do. So I'm believing 100% that all of this is for something greater uh, that is coming and we're just Amen. getting prepared for it. Well, and you know, as you were talking about the churches, uh, the walls coming down and, and relationship developing among different congregations, we're all the church, right? We're all the church. It reminds me of that verse, and I don't remember exactly where it is, but it says, you know, the world will know you are Christians by the love you have for one another. And it's not that they'll know that we're a exactly. denomination of Christians. They'll know that we are followers of Christ because of the love we have for one another, because only God can give us the love for one yes. another that will reflect his love to the world. World. And uh, I'm just encouraging to hear that you're seeing that developing uh, because it's so easy to be divided. And boy, we see so much division in the world these days. I mean, it seems like everybody's trying yes. to divide everybody. But when the church, the body of Christ can come together in love, people yes. will be astonished. And they are astonished really exactly. when they see yes. it. I mean, it astonishes <laughs> us sometimes, right? Yes. I mean, we have, to, we have to be like Jesus. Jesus said, look, there's only two things that you really need to focus on. Loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving each other like I have loved you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Focus on that, and everything else falls on that. And I think more of who we are or who we desire to be, because we came to Christ with the whole intention of really serving and loving him and loving others. And, you know, sometimes we get caught up in all this other stuff, and it changes our heart. 
But, you know, I believe that the Lord is bringing us back to that. He's bringing us back to the basics, the foundation. Love, love, love. Everything else will fade. His word's going to stand forever and love will endure forever. You know, I really think he's bringing us back to just that basic foundation of love. You know, Stephanie, you have come out of some really difficult circumstances um, and situations. Can you give some practical things that you would recommend to someone who's either stuck in abusive relationship or a situation or those who are struggling still with past okay, abuse? Yeah. So I would say to someone that's stuck, get unstuck, <laughs> get unstuck and, and get out of that, you know. When I was physically abused, we didn't really talk about that part, but I was physically abused as a child. I ended up associating love with pain. If someone would hurt me, to me, that was love because I was getting attention. You know, at least they felt I was worth hitting, you know. And so I, I ended up associating all negative behavior with love. And then when I came to the Lord and I'm reading his word, it's like, that's not love. It felt good for me to hurt, but that's not what God wanted for me. And that's not who he is. God, he's our father, but he's not abusive. Spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, he is not an abuser. So why would I allow someone else to abuse me if a God of all creation doesn't do that? Because he is love. Love is not supposed to hurt not physical pain, emotional pain. That's not what it is. The Bible tells us there's no fear in love, but I feared all the time. You know, I feared the next time that I was going to get hit, even though I wanted to get hit, but I still feared there's no fear in love. And so if someone is doing that, then it tells you they don't love you. We are worthy to be loved because Jesus made us worthy to of it. And the Bible tells us that love, it doesn't dishonor other people, that it's not self-seeking that is not easily angered, and that love always, always means always, all the time, love protects. And so if a person isn't in that type of a relationship, they need to get out of it because that is not a God relationship. And they need to be in a God relationship where God is the center of it and that they truly experience love. Sometimes we have versions of love, a perception of what we think love is based on our previous experiences, our previous relationships. But we need to go to how does God define love? And that's not, and if that's not the love that I'm receiving, then that's not the love that I want. A person needs to love themselves and then don't allow anyone else to love them differently. So if I love me, if you're going to be in a relationship with me, then you're going to love me too. I know the definition of love because it's based off of what God says. If you don't have that type of love for me, then I shouldn't be in that type of relationship. So I'd encourage someone to safely uh, get out of that relationship. And then for others that are struggling, if you are in Christ, you have the power to overcome. All you do is you, the scripture tells us that you call anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's not just salvation. That's whatever issue, whatever situation that you are going through, you call upon the name of the Lord. In the times of distress and trouble, the Lord will hear your cry and answer. And so I would encourage anyone that's still struggling with that, surrender to the Lord, give it all to him. I gave all my junk 
all my issues. It's like I, you know, I did a literal just throwing it up in the air, throwing my hands and say, Lord, you take all this stuff. I don't want it. It's too heavy. I'm not even supposed to be carrying it, but you can carry it. He can take it. He can handle all the weight, but we weren't built to handle all that weight. And so surrender to the Lord and cry out to him and say, Lord, I need you. I need you to help. I need you to lead me. I need you to intervene in a situation and then step back and allow God to do that. Many times we want to get in the way of what the Lord is trying to do. His ways are not our ways. And trust me, he does things really differently than the way that I would have done them. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. It's so much higher than what we do. But allow God to be God and, and allow you to be you. You depend and lean on God. And it says that all things will work out together in the end and for our good, not for our bad, not to hurt us, not to harm us, but for our good. And so you trust that God is going to work it out when you call upon his name for him to deliver you from it. As we wrap it up, I like to ask all my guests if there's a woman in the Bible whose story has inspired or encouraged or taught you something. And how does her okay, story so relate to your story? I call her the unlikely one. That is Rahab. I can relate to Rahab. She was a prostitute. She was not of the Jewish heritage. She sold out her nation so her and her family could be saved. I mean, she was just the underdog. She is not one that you would expect that would be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. You just would not expect that. And, and I'm like, if the Lord can use a prostitute for his glory to be part of the salvation plan of the world, God can use me too. And so there's not enough sins that I have done. It's not enough bad things that I have done that the Lord still wouldn't use me and still wouldn't choose me. So that's why I chose Rahab. If you would have put her in a line, you know, of all the people to choose, all the ladies to choose to be in the lineage of Jesus, and you knew their backstory, Rahab wouldn't have been selected. And, and that's how, you know, I feel about myself. If you put me in a line of other people, you know, and it's like, no, I, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you're kids and they're picking which team you're going to be on and you're the last person, that would be me. You know, the last person hadn't been picked. And I can relate to, to that and that God was still able to use her despite who she was or what her past was or what she's done in her life. That God says, I can use anybody. I can transform anybody. And I can relate to that because God has transformed me. I'm not the person who I used to be, and I'm not the person that I was two years ago. God is continuing to transform me into the person that he wants me to be. And so if he can use Rahab, he can use Stephanie, and he can use each and every one of us for his glory. Amen. Well, Jeremiah 31, 13b, it says, I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give their comfort and joy instead of sorrow. And just talking to you, I can just hear the joy that God has put in your life and taken away the sorrow of so many years. And dear listener, if you are in a place of mourning or sorrow, God is willing to give you comfort and he's willing to give you joy. As Stephanie shared faith in Jesus Christ and forgiveness, they're keys to healing. Joshua 24, 15 is the scripture the Lord spoke to Stephanie. Choose you this day who you will serve. And he's saying the same thing to you. Choose you this day who you will serve. Stephanie's going to lead us in prayer in a minute. 
but we would also be honored to pray with you and help you with that choice. You can call or you can text the Somebody Cares 24-7 prayer line uh, at 855-459-CARE, or you can email us at prayer at somebodycares.org. Show notes with a link to Stephanie's books and the scriptures we talked about today can be found at hergodstory.org, hergodstory.org. There's also a way that you can sign up for updates. You can hear learn about some of our guests. You can get information. So be sure to sign up for a mailing list. Um, and if you would like to take a moment to rate the show on Apple or Spotify, that would be a great thing. Um, we'd love for you to follow or subscribe wherever you listen and share the story with friends who might enjoy hearing it too. So as we close, Stephanie, would you pray for everyone who listens to your amazing God story? Father God, in the name of Jesus, we bless you, God, and give you glory. Lord, I thank you, God, for every person that has listened um, to this conversation between Jody and I, and I pray, God, that it will bless them. Lord, I pray, God, for those who are struggling to forgive people, God, that they would just say, Lord, I am willing to forgive. And they would cry out to you to help them to forgive those who have hurt, harmed, or offended them, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, for those who are who are dealing with abuse, God. I pray, Lord, that you would lead them and guide them in the right way, God, that they would know, God, that they are worthy of love, that they have been accepted by you, that you would never reject them, you would never leave them nor forsake them, God, and that you always have a plan and it's a plan to prosper and never to harm. So I pray, Lord, that you would give them a way out, open the door, show them the way in which they should go. And I also pray, Lord, even for those that are the abusers, Lord, that they would know you, God, and they would confess and repent of all of their sins and follow Jesus, God, for the rest of their days. God, I pray, God, for anyone that is struggling, anyone that is dealing with anything. You know their hearts, God. You know what is needed. You are perfect in all of your ways. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet them right where they are, God. They would know that you are there, that you are with them, that you would make your presence tangible, that they would know, God, that you are real, that you are watching, that your eyes are always upon them. And more importantly, God, that you love them more than anyone else in the entire universe and that you always mean well and that you are always working for them and never against them. We bless them. I bless Jody. Bless somebody cares, God. And I thank you, God, for what they're doing. And I pray, God, they continue to prosper in their labor for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may God bless you and keep you and may his face shine upon you and may he give you peace. Tune in again soon to another episode of Her God Story. Bye-bye. Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.